What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It is Tuesday, May 10th, and welcome to the 9 by 9 This is episode 27 of the 81 square meters of the best volleyball content you can find on the internet. My name is Everett DeLorme, joined as always by Mr. Rob St. Clair and Mr. Daniel Manili. And boys, it's been a big week of volleyball. There's been some massive upsets. There's been some big wins. We've had a few champions crowned so far. Um, we're right in the throw of the interna- or the international pro season finals. They're going on all, all, all over the place. And today we are going to start in Italy where Imico Conigliano has made it four in a row, five championships in the past six years. And Paolo Agonu puts the team on her back to take this series three to one with an absolutely massive performance in a five set win over Monza. What's our initial thoughts on this one, guys? Well, uh, after all the, that has gone on in the Italian Women's League this year, after all the chaos, it was so much less certain this year than last year about what the outcome was going to be. But sure enough, uh, we get this, the same thing in a different year. We get Camiliano on top of the podium again. Once we got to the finals and just kind of the way that we saw Canaliano lock in in the last month or so, uh, it was really it would have been really difficult to bet against this team. And I, I, I give Monza a lot of credit, but they I, I don't I never really saw them having a chance to win this series. Uh, there were moments in matches where they, they really showed a lot of spirit that came back from some deficits, but uh, there were a couple, especially going uh, losing that second match. If I remember correctly, that uh, that was, that was pretty killer towards their chances for winning the series. Sure enough. Uh, we've been talking about who is going to support who's going to provide that supplemental point scoring next to Paula Egonu, perhaps like, make it so that Camiliano doesn't have to rely on her for the entire match. They can just ride her for the second half of a match. And sure enough, uh, she scored more points than Monza did in the fifth set today. It was 15 to eight and Agonu had nine points. So the best player in the world took over when the, the trophy was dangling right in front of them and Camiliano with yet another piece of hardware. Yeah. And I think it's proves another thing. I think we discussed either some last week's or the weeks before episode I think it was Everett who said you can't win with just Paola Iganu as your main offensive weapon. And I think we saw that is a completely legitimate way of winning volleyball games, as we've seen the past <laughs> couple of years. Um, you know, 60, what was it, 61 sets for, for Paola Iganu, pretty much double uh, of the second most player. And, and not to say that other players didn't play well, because, of course, it was always a team effort. But, again, those other players, more of a supporting role for, for Plummer and for Seal and for, for the rest of the team. And, again, Powell is just the offensive engine. Yes, she's not going to play well four out of four games, but she's going to do it three out of four games. And, that, and that, that's all you need to win uh, the Italian Scudetto. Yeah, yeah, sure enough, 61 attempts, one. 35 for 61, uh, two errors only, blocked five times. But making only two unforced errors in five sets is uh, an Egonu performance where you're really going to win a lot of massive matches, uh, plus two blocks. But 57% she- kills is just off the charts and pretty high efficiency. That's, that's, that's it. That, that's how you win championships. But she didn't really do it all by herself. I mean, the games that they were losing, we saw Plummer not in double digits. We saw Sila not in double digits. Same thing with the Cruyff. And in this one, I mean, we saw Plummer score five points early on in in, in the first set and be neck and neck with with the Gono. And I think that was really the case, right? In the matches that they started having to go to her early and they started having to rely, rely on her right from the first set, 
that's where they really struggled because they couldn't get the other players going. But this one, I mean, Plummer still had 16, DeCroix had 10, same thing with Silla, and Foley had had nine. So the other players were there to let her run, but she was an absolute monster. Like uh, Rob said, nine points, eight for one in, in this fifth set. To, to me, it seemed like Monza did everything possible. Like they emptied the bench. We saw Stiziak, we saw Van Hecke, we saw Gennaro, we saw Daviskiba, we saw Jordan Larson who went, went off in this second set to, to lead things. It seems like they threw everything but the kitchen sink uh, at uh, Canigliano. And at the end of the day, Canigliano was the best team. Is, am, I, am I right in that assessment? You are. No complaints here. The best team won the series, best team won the Italian league. And Somehow, somehow, Canelio gets an- Caneliano gets another victory. And guys, I-, I think maybe we have to have a little bit of discussion here. Where does this Caneliano team rank on the all-time women's volleyball teams? Because they're really, really starting to rack up a resume here. You mean like yeah, the, the, over the, over this dynasty? Yeah, exactly. Man, not, yeah, not this. Ha- I mean, up there. The reality they has to they have to be the best one. They have to be at the top. Like a 76-game win streak, you've won four championships in a row, and it would have been five if it wasn't for the the COVID year, right? Five championships in the past six years, especially this past two years with a with a Gonu, just unreal. Um, they big tarnish not having won club world championships. Like if they had gotten that, that would be much much bigger. But still, to me, it's number one. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with that. The the all time win streak and just the way that they lost responded continued to peak at the right time in the season if they win champions league and they send paula agonu's vodka bank uh interesting slip there yeah if they they send agonu's camiliano career out with that champions league win in i guess what is it like two weeks now then i think that would be the exclamation point on the best era of women's club volleyball we've ever seen Okay, yeah. I'm going to go into the history books a bit, guys. Not to derail too much because we have a lot to talk about. Ekaterinburg, I think you got to mention them too when you talk about uh, best women's club teams of all times. Uh, eight, eight Champions League, not Champions League at the time, but European club gold medals, uh, including you know five or five from 1995 uh, to 1990. Uh, also, 14 gold medals in the Russian Super League across uh, kind of the 80s and early 90s. Uh, ask any volleyball historian about Ekaterinburg. If you guys are hanging around with any old school women's coaches this summer, ask them about the Ekaterinburg teams. Team team's still around, early choke Ekaterinburg. Not quite as good now, but definitely uh, in, in the realm. But I still I still would have to say Caneliano is doing it in a more competitive environment as well. So it's, it's the, the, the environment is the difference. It's kind of like the old Boston Celtics dynasty is when they won like mm-hmm. what nine or whatever it was back in the fifties. It's just Absolutely. not quite the same game. No, um, but we have, to, we have to give the old, the old guys some credit. The old For girls, sure. yeah. the old girls some credit. Yeah, sure. I mean, but yeah. that's still the day when like you weren't playing with a libero, right? Like it didn't, they scoring. didn't have the yes yeah, side out score, and like you probably didn't have the infusion of of North American players, namely American, in in the leagues at the time. Like volleyball's come a long way since then. So like if you were to put these teams up at, up up against each other, like prime Ekaterina Berg against prime Canigliano. Uh, no matter what style of game, you know, we can play side out scoring to 15, whatever it may be. I'm still going to pick this Canigliano team 19, nine times out of 10. Maybe that's just recency wise. No, they yeah. have Paula Egonu. No, nobody had ever seen something like her until, Absolutely. She, until she came into being. There's never, ever been a player like her before in women's volleyball history. And uh, like, if you put her in the 90s, it would be a completely unfair fight. 
yeah, un, it would have been unbelievable. Back now, when uh, I wonder, they were wearing I Converse out... and, and smoking cigarettes between matches. <laughs> yeah, games changed a lot. I, I wanted to point Players something out. Players still do that, that, by the way. <laughs> Not to burst uh, anyone's bubble. Wouldn't surprise me. Something oh, that I do. thought was funny, like you see the celebration photos here for Caneliano and, and this one, they're wearing the, the Prosecco pink, like the rosé sort of jerseys. Oh. These are not the jerseys they won the match in. They went and they, they were wearing like the, the blue striped ones. They went and changed jerseys for the celebration in the photos. I just thought that was funny. Well, I don't I know if that. I can say too much on this podcast, but uh, I was there for the Champions League celebration in oh, 2021 yeah. when they won. And yeah, that was, uh, let's say, the, in the few hours between when they won and the, and, the, uh, and the awards ceremony, there were a few bottles per second missing. That's for sure. I, I remember that very well because they played that, then then Zoxa won, and in the award yeah. ceremony for both of them, uh, Caneliano had been getting after it for a little while. I, I, I also remember you messaging us some details in the uh, Discord. I that as well. So, uh, you know, if, you are, if you're out there listening and you're not a part of the Discord yet, just another reason to... Uh, to join uh now speaking of champions league last year's opponents against the champions league for for this team and this year's opponents in the champions league is vakif bank from turkey now this one was absolutely insane they were down to one heading into this uh game four at fenerbahce they were down 2-0 in the third set trailing 13 to 17 before vakif bank turned the tables, and completed the unpredictable reverse sweep. Rob, you watched this one. What did you get from this one? Because Vakif Bank was on the brink of disaster, and they completely saved themselves here. I thought it was over. I, I, I messaged the Discord. I said, oh my goodness, Fenerbahce is going to win this league. They were up 17-13 in the third, at home, up 2-0, and they were the better team in the matchup to that point. It was... It was over. And then not only did Vakabank come back and win that third set, they went on a 12-2 to run. 12-2. to Like, it was 17-13 Fenerbahce. The final score was 25-19. It was one of the best runs I've ever seen. It was just unbelievable the way the Vakabank, with their backs against the wall, were able to somehow summon that comeback. And huge credit to Giovanni Gudetti, by the way. So... For those who have only been watching Vakif Bank in Champions League this year, which uh, until recently was definitely me, uh, Chiaco Bogu almost never plays in Turkey because of the foreigner limit. You can only have three foreigners uh, in the Turkish League domestically, and that's all three of their wings, Hak, Gabi, and Barch. So uh, Michelle Barchakli was not playing well, a negative efficiency on, on 15 attempts. So what does Gudetti do? He puts in Tuba Shinolu. At the outside, she's Turkish, so that allows him to also put in Chakabogi in the middle for Kubra Akman. Completely turns things around. Tuba Shinolu, 9 for 14, plus 3 stuff blocks. And uh, so they make that 12-2 run in the third. They also Bank also goes down 5-1 to one in the fifth. And they make a comeback all the way from that, mostly from Shinolu's blocking and Gabi just taking over the match to tie it at seven to seven like the the runs that Vakif Bank came up with when they needed them the most to stave off elimination and to keep their title hopes alive were were all time they were all time runs that 12 to 2 run in the third was was like nothing I've ever seen in my life I legitimately thought the series was over I thought Fenerbahce could could practically just hoist the trophy at that point Vakif Bank brought it all the way back now going to game five back at Vakif Bank now there's no way they don't win this tournament. There's no way. Wow, bold. 
that's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, I did say after game one, right when uh, Fenerbahce won won the first game, I was like, look, it's going to take another thirty point performance for Fener from from Lisa Vargas for Fenerbahce to win another match in this in the series, and that's exactly what she did twice. She did it in game one, she did it in game three, and then she did it in here in game four. But the difference was that Vakif Bank was it was able to you know answer the bell, slow her down enough, and and come away with the win. Rob, you just basically ship them off with the ship. Do you think that this is the the character building win that's gonna that they're gonna need to be able to to get over the hump? And not only the hump of the Turkish uh, Champions League, Champions yeah. League, like championship, but the Champions League finals as well. I, I'm mostly looking at this series now from a Fenerbahce perspective. As close okay, as as close as they were, up two zero at home, up seventeen thirteen in the third. They they will not get a better opportunity than that to win this series. It's kind of like no. the Ber- the Berlin versus Friedrichshafen series in Germany. Like if Friedrichshafen was going to have any chance to win that series, they had to do it at home in Game Four. But they they allowed Berlin to beat them on the road, and then uh, Berlin at home it, it was it was all over at that point. This is very much like that. Fenerbahce to lose this match with half the trophy in hand. I don't think it is possible to come back from that mentally. And now that Vakif Bank is playing with the level of confidence that they are having just made that comeback, I still think that they are, they have, they've really had some shaky moments in this series in particular, but really from a Fenerbahce perspective to have let this slip away up two zero in the, in, in the fourth game up two to one at home and 17, 13 like that to have let that slip away. I don't think it's possible for them to recover. Dan, you saw this team last year, Champions League. You saw what they went through, uh, and 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 after that, lost. How much do you think it means to them that their 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 season is still alive and they still have a chance to go up against Canigliano in that Champions League final? Uh oh. Oh yeah, Dan, we lost your audio. I don't know if you muted yourself. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I think I think this last Champions League finals and this last match in Turkey is going to be like where the experience of Vakif Bank, even though they're not really the oldest team, like if you think about it, Isabel Hawk still like twenty four. Uh, Zara Gunash is, is still like 20, 24 as well. Sean Sulazba is still, you know, like 26. Uh, so they're not that old of a team, but they have tons of experience. They have Gudetti. And I think this last, these last two matches that they're going to play this season are where, like, where this experience is going to, is going to really show itself. Uh, Cause I think, you know, especially, you know, Fedorov Stavish is an incredible player and she's played in big matches already, but you know, she doesn't have the experience that these girls have and, you know, incredible match, like Rob said from Fenerbahce, but Especially not even from a momentum side for Vakif Bank, but from a demoralization standpoint, like you said, for, for Fenerbahce. That is absolutely crushing, crushing to lose a match like that. And we've seen it, you know, across all sports as, as we were in playoff season where, you know, you, you lose, you know, you lose crucial points like that. And probably you guys and people listening can relate to this. It's not just a professional sports experience. This is like a pretty relatable feeling across all sports. Once you start getting down like that, like it, it's and, and once you let an opportunity slip, it's it's really hard to come back. Uh, Fenerbahce, you know, they have a chance, but uh, I, I see this as back at banks to lose, especially at home. Yeah. I I definitely agree. I mean, it's it's all about Vakov Bank now, and to me, this is just setting up the spiciest of Champions League finals, uh, especially when there's certain points where both of these teams seem that they were limping uh, at certain point this season. Like we've definitely seen Canigliano struggle at times. We've hundred percent seen Vakov Bank struggle at times. We've seen the struggle in this series, but now it seems like both teams are 
really running towards that Champions League finals. And I mean, last year I almost preferred the women's final over the men's final, and it's 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 shaping up to be a couple of great matches in this one. I mean, that's uh, guys, we have to do some sort of of preview show or or something to break these down because they are going to be unreal. We will only like a week and a half away after all this waiting for the Champions is, League finals. Is is it that much? I thought it was it was longer than it's that. Next, it's next Sunday. Yeah, uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday the twenty second. Okay, are both oh, matches on there. Sunday? Yes, both yeah, both okay. on the same day. Both same day, right. same place. Yeah, it's it's going to be insane. So we'll we'll do a do a detailed detailed preview of that. Um, so Vakovic with one more match to play. When's that game five? It's got to be that that game five is on Thursday. Yeah, game five is is on Thursday at noon Eastern time, 7 p.m. local time. So that will be one to check out. And I'm really thankful it's on Thursday because tomorrow on Wednesday, we've got a whole bunch of matches matches to watch with in France and Poland in Italy. So it's glad that it's it's spaced out a little bit. Uh, and we're going to be able to watch it on uh, on Thursday. One other note that we have uh, from Turkey on the men's side, we have a champion's crown and it's going to be back-to-back championships for Zerat Bankazi, the same story as last year. Um, you had Hulk Bank, who dominated all throughout the uh, regular season, and then Zerat Bankazi, who's going to come in and win it in the finals. They're going to grab that top Champions League ticket, and big ups to them. Back-to-back uh, championships, unfortunately, beating my boy, Graham Vigrass, in the finals. Yeah, it's crazy that Hawk Bank was the best team by far in the regular season in Turkey and came away with zero hardware. They lost the Turkish Cup and they lose the Turkish Championship in the finals, like three one and three zero in in the best of three series. It wasn't wasn't overwhelmingly close, which is which is crazy. Uh, Fenerbahce's men got third, by the way, over Arkas Izmir. So congrats to them. But yeah, that's it for Turkey. I I wonder if they're still getting three Champions League spots for next year. Uh, I, be- I believe they should be. I believe yeah. they should be. Okay, so really? it'll, it'll be Zira Pancasa, Hawk Bank, and Fenerbahce. Wait, th- no, three. That, isn't it usually That's a two? lot for Turkey. Yeah. I think it's Did usually I... two for Turkey. Maybe it is. Uh, I, I don't remember if they had two or three this year, but I mean, yeah. who, who knows for next year? We need, we need like a fact checker in the chat on the show. Yeah, we do. <laughs> who wants yeah. to volunteer? Champions League seeds are so weird. Like, how, how many does each league get? And then, especially next year, if, if Russia is still unable to participate. It, all, like... all, all the information is online. If you guys like, it's, it's on the Champions League website. All the yeah. documents are public. Everything's public. Yeah. I, I, I think they had two this year. I think they had Zarap Bankazi and they had Fenerbahce. Yeah, it might have been just those two. I, yeah. I commentated both both games, so I don't remember. I don't remember if there was a third one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Zirap and Kasi does like does have a pretty good team. They had Martina Tetsov, yeah, yeah. like Oriel Kameho. They had the best uh, Turkish setter, Arslan Exi. Like I actually watched this game, uh, and you know it was actually pretty close. Like Hawkbank was right there. They for sure could have won, but. Uh, just a lot of firepower. And, and of course, uh, Velder Termat, Termat, who's like a terminator for club somehow. <laughs> Crazy. Just... He's so much better in club than he is for yeah. national team. Yeah, wild, I mean, but, but it's hard, hard to blame him, right? Like he's sitting behind Namir Abdelaziz, right? Who's arguably, he's he's definitely a top three right side in the world. So Termat isn't quite that level. And maybe, you know, maybe the, maybe there's yeah, a little bit just... intimidation there. What was that, Dan? Not quite, yeah. Just a slight, slight gap. So. Only a little. Yeah. All right, uh, just, just a little bit. Yeah, just just a little bit. But let's jump back to Italy, um, where it looked like things were going to be quick, and it looked like Lube was going to set up a quick sweep. But Perugia came back strong, 
in this one, a 3-1 win going down in, in the first one. It looked like they were going to take it when Rich Licky ripped an ace late in the first, but then, man, they did they ever go for a run in sets uh, two and three to really set up that, that three-set win. They are back in alive. It's now a 2-1 series uh, in favor of Lube, but still, boys, what did we think of this performance by Perugia? Well, there's two words that I can use to describe this performance. <laughs> Wilfredo Leon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That's the right the answer. Guy, the guy's back. He had his best, most efficient game against any Superliga team since February. No, sorry, against any top four Superliga team since February 10th against mm. Trentino. Wow. Uh, so he was he was at, right at 50% efficiency. Incredible for him. Of course, he had, was it, five aces as well. So the serving is back. The two things that we like harped on earlier in our last couple podcasts, you know, he's got to be more efficient. And he's got to he's got to get those aces down. Uh, I don't think anything really fundamentally changed in his game, other than maybe he was, you know, trying. He was only one tip this entire match. Everything else is just bang, bang, bang. A lot of cross, a lot of uh, deep, deep shots over the blocker to six. So nothing really changed that much. He just, I guess, he just played better. I mean, there's not too much to say there. That's that was kind of the the take that I had too. My my impression from watching the game, Leon was significantly better. Uh, Anderson was good, twelve for nineteen and over fifty percent efficiency. And Rickliski was okay, uh, but the middle matchup: Sebastian Soleil mm-hmm. seven Absolutely. for nine, and then Gotsi five for seven, compared to Robert Landy Simone five for twelve with only one block and two aces. So they did somehow they did a significantly better job. Uh, against Robert Lenny Simone, and it all started with the fact that Lube only passed at a nine percent perfect rate. So the the serve and pass battle really swung in Perugia's favor, and the uh, blocking I think they led as well eight to yeah, eight to six on the match. But they they the only way to defend against Robert Lenny Simone is to serve better, and it's and it to me it felt like Perugia was able to do that not just with Leon's aces but just generally keeping Lube's offense for oh, everyone. Yeah, everyone, a- exactly. everyone, right? Like we saw Anderson ripping aces. We saw Gianelli yeah. ripping aces. We saw Mengozi tripping, tricking them with the old man floater. Like everyone was serving better. But one thing they were also doing better on the block was on the blocking side. You saw that both Mengozi uh, and Soleil were fronting Leon like he was running a traditional uh, fifty-one. And as he as they were jumping, they were jumping into the gap in the same that that we were uh, he was and dan fronting and i simone uh, you mean yeah 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 so yeah they are fronting simone and then jump, jumping into the gap as as dan and i talked about on our show on on friday yeah. um simone has had so much success simone Dechekov had so much success with that that polish push, push quick where they're pushing him into the gap even when they're running 31 like he's running it to one spot and then jumping sideways to be able to to get in that gap and we saw that perugia's blockers were doing a much better job at fronting him straight up and then jumping into the gap and then it was kind of it, it, it was kind of game over from there but another person that i really want to highlight is the play of simone gianelli and we've kind of been a little bit critical uh, about him at times throughout these playoffs and throughout these series of not switching things up Robert like like Leon was incredible but he wasn't getting any junk he wasn't getting any junk at all and I mean in the first in the first set his first five swings were kills and he had one continue and one error and that error was the last point point of the game where he blasted it that uh, was very but, strange right? I, I, I thought that that might be Perugia's death blow and they had a great look at like no block Leon out of the pipe and he completely spatched it out of bounds I was like oh yeah. no what's going on here especially the way that they were trailing most of that set they came back and, and got the lead at 21 with Rich Lickie's ace but they used Leon so efficiently and they did such a good job at involving every single other person in, in the offense. And to me, this is by far Gianelli's best game setting 
right? Because Leon was so efficient and you could tell that he had that extra confidence because he had guys around him. Rich Licky was playing well. Soleil was playing well. Anderson was looking good out of the pipe and was hitting some crazy 4-4 shots, right? They were all clicking. They were working well on defense. They, they were blocking well. Like when Perugia is like this, they are unstoppable. But my question is, what type of cortisone shot did Leon get to his knee before this one because he looked way better much better than we've seen him since like march or february as as dan mentioned before yeah i mean he, he played much better and i just want to say one more thing i, I have a juicy stat for you here guys because there we go know, i come I with like. the stats that's what we want robert landy shimon six block touches this game okay this is the lowest of the entire season i went through every single match Whoa! Lowest block touches the entire Lowest time as as a block defender. Like he only touched six balls. He only touched six balls. That's crazy low. And and, and he's he can get up to like 18, 19, 20 some matches. Wow, like six is incredibly low. And so that's got to like, okay, be this... that's got to be Gianelli's credit then, right? Gianelli's 100%. credit. And and if you watch the attackers, the game plan today or on Sunday was. Keep one eye on Simone and don't hit Adam no matter what. Like, you can miss. You can hit into the other blocker. Your only job is not to hit it at Robert Landy. And if, if you go, like, it's like he's, he's putting blocks up. They're just avoiding it. They're hitting at DeChico. They're hit, hitting at Lucarelli. You know, they're hitting at Yance. They're hitting at Kovar. They're hitting it. you know, they hit right into the, the outside hit blocker sometimes. But sick, like, they definitely, and I think it got at Simone's head, too. Because he's like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm doing all this work on defense. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting my usual five kill box because they, you know, they're taking bad hits. And I think that's maybe what you saw with maybe like some of those Leon, like that Leon blast to the corner. It's like it's just the, mm-hmm. the only the only rule of the game: don't don't hit it into Shimon's block because he was just as you, as you guys know, we were calling him like the goaded middle after the last match. I still think he is. I think you guys said a, a lot of great no, I don't things. Disagree so, uh, I, I, absolutely. I think he's the go to middle, but I also think this, like we may have seen the worst performance possibly ever from Robert Landy Simone, because on top of that, only six block touches, his efficiency was a 0.077 in this one. Like, yeah. Not yeah, nearly as good attacking. And like, the, again, just the nature of the middle position, there's only so much you can do, but we've become really accustomed to seeing Simone take over the game from the middle position. Like nobody else is capable. So when he doesn't do that, it's a bit of a surprise, but I, I, I agree with Dan's point, especially going after the, going after the piece as a blocker. Uh, there, there were a couple where Leon just went straight over the top of him down the line. And the fact that it took them this long to make that adjustment is a little bit crazy to me. Uh, but even just elsewhere on both wings, attacking high line, attacking any blockers that aren't Simone makes a lot of sense to me. And my question to both you guys, is that is this change, this change in the matchup sustainable enough to get us perhaps to a game five or maybe even for Perugia to win the series? It's to me, it's it's going to be tough, right? Because you have to go to Lebe, Lube away and and take that one. And we've tomorrow. seen Lube, yeah, tomorrow, and and that one's going to be a big one. Um, we've seen Lube bounce back, especially in the Trentino series, right? We've seen them answer. So are they going to be answer? Are they going to be able to answer in this one quickly enough, right? Are they going to be able to come up with some type of offensive scheme? Because you know, Rob, you and I definitely talked about about how much. Tacheco was pushing the pace, especially in the last the last end of the Trentino series and beginning of this series, and really spreading out that offense. We're not seeing that as much from them. 
Are they going away from that? Was that a conscious choice? Was that something that just kind of happened out, out of the wayside? There's a lot of questions for me for this Lube side. And I mean, hey, if they can wrap some of that stuff up, like I can absolutely see see them closing things out. But with how good the away team has been in this series, I kind of <laughs> think that Perugia is going to be able to take this one and you know what, force a game five. And then once we get to game five, I mean, I think all bets are off, but it should be fun. Yeah, I, th- I think the attacking is, is, can be replicated because, you know, I think they just run the same strategy. Of course, Luby will adjust as well. Um, I think the serving is, is the tough part because we saw a better serving match, like you guys said, from Perugia. And we've seen that's not always the case with this team recently. They, they, they've had some stinkers. So if they serve well, it's going to be very competitive. Um, and I had a question to throw back at you guys because we haven't talked about a huge factor in this match, I think, which was Gabby Garcia coming in and mm-hmm. really being a difference maker. A former two-time NCAA player of the year, speaking of the NCAA double championship that happened this weekend. So, Rob, do you think uh, next match we start Gabby just right away? Don't even pretend to have Zaitsev in there. You can't because of the Italian thing. And, yeah, only... and then you start you You, you start, you start Kovar, well. Kovar over Lucarelli or... Or Yance, like I, you can't do that. You at least have to see if you get a decent production out of Zaitsev first. If Juan Terena could play six rotations, it would be a completely different story. But the drop off with Jiri Kovar is so significant, way more significant than the drop off between Garcia and Zaitsev, that you have to start Zaitsev, the Italian, so that you can play your two better outside hitters and then just see what happens from there. And that's what Lube's been doing. And you're right, Gabby Garcia came in and was awesome. 11 for 18 with one error. That's that's phenomenal. But you he have was their to... entire offense. In totally. That, in that, especially in that fourth set. Yeah, he was. But you ha- because they're so handcuffed by the foreigner limit because of Juan Terena's inability to be a factor in six rotations. They have to start Zaitsev again and just hope they get him on a better day so that they don't have to bench one of their you know, typically world-class outside hitters in favor of Jiri Kovar. Like, you just can't afford to do that. I mean, we are starting to see Juan Terena take some swings in the front row, right? Like, he did have three attempts in, the, in this one. I so see he one, is, he, and he got well, stuff blocked. Yeah, I mean, hey, the, the, the numbers aren't there, but I mean, like, something's <laughs> got to give, and I would 100% see them making this move on a permanent basis. I don't think you start him, Right? I think you, you you keep him on the bench, and he's shown that he has that ability to come off the bench and produce for you. But I, I think that Lucarelli and Yant have maybe a, a shorter a shorter leash. That being said, you know we've seen Lucarelli. Yeah, Lucarelli's had good moments in this series. Like eight for twenty two, okay. Uh, Yant eleven for sixteen is terrific, yeah. and they had no choice but to take him off. Uh, because of the Italian thing. So they're, they're choosing to put in Kovar for Yant most of the time just for serve reception. Because if you have, if you take out Lucarelli, you're losing, you're, you're losing most of the people that you can really rely on to pass the ball that aren't named Fabio Boasso. So it's, which, which is a shame for Lube to have to take Marlon Yant off. That's what I mean. You can't afford to start Gabby Garcia and Jiri Kovar and no, then bring, bring Yant off the bench when Garcia has proven that he can come off the bench and be productive. Well, yeah, and and I think it's not even like for the attacking attacking Kovar is pretty bad, like actually very bad. But Terrible. he's not un, unplayable. Thirteen for thirty uh, in the playoffs so far, so like bad, but you know not horrible. It's the serving for me. Like he he does not have a professional Gosh. volleyball level serve. Like he's, not even he's, a little bit. He has like a fifty percent air rate, and even when he gets it over, it's 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 pretty much a guaranteed dime. Like he like that that's where that's for me where the issue is. Like he, he he's 
probably the worst server in like the Super League, just about. Like he he is really bad from behind the service. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well then guys, it it comes down to this. What's what's our what's our call? Is Lube gonna be taking it tomorrow? Or are we going to be going to game five at Perugia? Rob, we're going to start with you. I'm calling game five. Okay. Dan? I'm, I'm wearing the Leon jersey, so I, I got to call it game <laughs> five as well. You got to show this off for, for a second for us. I, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did earlier. I did earlier. Okay. F- Beautiful. Fair, fair enough. Ever you picking game five or you think this is Lube's tomorrow? I think, I think I'm picking game five. Right, like right. as I said, I, I think that we've seen the away team in these playoffs in general have the upper hand for some reason, um, and yeah, like I, I think that we're going to be going to five. I think that this Perugia team is too good, but then again, that's also what I thought last year, and Lube Lube took it in four. Well, you know it, what that means? Three, we are so. now guaranteed to be wrong, and congrats to Lube on winning the title tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, Let's move you guys, on. Yeah, well, first, first, real quick, make sure to check that game out. It's going to be going down at uh, 2.45 uh, Eastern time, 1.45 Central time, if, if you're like Rob, and that's uh, 8.45. It's so late in Europe. Why do, why do games start, start so late like that? Really late. Check that and check that out on Volleyball World TV. If you don't have a subscription, come over to the Discord. I'm sure someone will be posting uh, another type of link. And if not, I'm sure we'll be getting a voice chat going down uh, on the uh, Discord as well. So make sure you come join for this one. Should be be a good one. Now, moving forward, uh, before we get to uh, a few other uh, notes, we are bringing something back. We are bringing that volleyball store back. It is live again. So if you want to get your 9 by 9 merch, if you want to get your spicy volleyball merch, if you want to get your Make Volleyball Great, period uh merch uh, i love that head, one <laughs> head over to that volleyball uh dot store um rob i know you have some of the gear my original order got lost in the mail and i only got my refund for it now so i've got an, another another order coming don't worry dan uh i've got some for you but you guys should check it out get some gear support the discord support us and uh look good while you do it yeah i've got the the spicy volleyball sticker on the back of my laptop here which i absolutely love nice Oh, I I, sh- I should get I should get a, I should get a couple of those. But yeah, uh, r- remind me. I ordered a couple thousand VLA stickers. I'm gonna bring them bring them to Ottawa for some of you guys. Ooh, okay. I'll, I'll rock a, v- a VLA sticker for sure. We'll, we'll slap slap that one on the on the laptop. I used to have such a good collection of stickers on my on my old laptop, but then it got stolen, and now 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 I've got none. So we we need to get it going again. Um, and of course, uh, that's not it. If you also want to s- support us, head over to BetUS and use the code Volley one two five for a hundred and twenty five percent deposit bonus. Now, it is betting season. It's the championships right now. Dude, we you know, had Kentucky got... Derby. Could you imagine Ooh. how much money you could have won with 120 bucks, five bucks for free, a free deposit oh. bonus match? If you, if you had happened to put Absolutely. a little bit of it on Rich Strike last weekend. <laughs> 880 to one, you, you could have got it. Um, but so you've, you use we've... BetUS and, and bet on Ford Store Sostamala to win the Champions League next year. Make, make yourself some money. <laughs> okay. So is, is that the longest odds? In, uh... I Bet if they are in the Champions League, they definitely should be the last odds. Did, did they win Finland? I don't even know. Um, but yeah, he- head over to uh, BetUS, America's favorite sports book. They've been around since 1994. They are true OGs. We got the NBA playoffs going on in full swing. There's like a million baseball games every single day, so you can bet on those. And two, tennis is getting into it. Golf is getting into it. 
F1 is getting real spicy. So head over to BetUS. Use the code VOLLEY125. You get a $125 dep- deposit bonus um, when you deposit $100 or uh, more. Blair Lambert saying that his mom won 2400 on Rich Strike on Dude. Saturday. So oh, no. <laughs> we know that. We know that. We know that the legend Blair Lambert likes to spend some time in Vegas. What's and, that? Uh, three bucks, three bucks down for twenty four hundred return or thirty? Thirty? I can't do math. Did she? Did she put three bucks on every horse though? Probably. <laughs> so still, that's hey. what an unbelievable return. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, check it out if you if you're not only going to uh, support yourself with one hundred twenty five extra dollars of basically free money, but you're going to support us and the show a little bit. So uh, make sure you check that out. All right, guys. Um, as we move on from the ads, Canigliano wasn't the only uh, champions that we crowned today in what was kind of a surprise matchup. Dinamo Moscow wins, goes back to back in the Russian Superliga. Um, and they are the 2022 champions beating Lokomotiv Novosibirsk 3-2 to two in the finals. Lokomotiv upsetting Zenit Kazan. Three nothing in the semifinals. That was only because on second loss, guys. What do we think about uh, Moscow going back to back in this one? So, got to give Moscow credit first and foremost before we talk about the miserable format of these playoffs because it's it's an absolute joke. But we'll talk about that in a second. Svetan Sokolov is the man. I think we've so for, good. I think we've forgotten about a lot of these Russian players or like absolutely Russian players and players that are playing in the Russian league this year. Be, I mean, for obvious reasons, they've been. Um, had the spotlight significantly taken away from them for good reasons, as we've been over on the show. But there's still volleyball being played in Russia, at least as through today. And Sokolov today, 15 for 27. Denis Bogdan, 15 for 23. Yaroslav Podlesnik, 15 for 23 as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Bogdan, 15 for 29, excuse me. Like Moscow's three wings were awesome. Really, really good. And uh, Pavel Pankov deserves a ton of credit, who we absolutely love on this program. Um, Locomotive gets a lot of credit for as well for pushing this to five. They they were very deserving of being here. Uh, Everett, you were talking about the style of volleyball that were they were, they were playing. It was at least relative to a Russian team. It was kind of a small ball style where they were mm-hmm. keeping balls in play, continuations, and ended up getting a lot of balls to Drazen Lubiritz to be terminal. And he went nineteen for twenty nine, which is a great output. But yep. your your boy Gord Perrin came up a little bit short in the fifth with his team. They uh, I mean they they went down three to nothing and. That, that fifth set was never really in doubt. So sure enough, Moscow goes back to back. But I think it's, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that Zenit Kazan didn't have more than one match of forgiveness to perhaps play for this final. It's the, the format that they play. It's the stupid FIVB format we've seen before. We have a final six, two pools of three, then four make it out of there, and then just play semis and finals. But to the, for the semis and the finals of this entire league – to be only one match series is crazy to me. It's crazy. There's no reason to do that. It's the only league in Europe that I know of that doesn't play at least best of three in those series, or at least like home and away with the whole Champions League, you know, cumulative points thing. For Kazan to lose only their second match of the year and have it be in the semifinals and to get knocked out of title contention because of that just doesn't seem like you're rewarding necessarily the best team. It, it does seem very abrupt, right? Especially for such a long season. And then they have this weird format with the final six and you play around Robin where everyone plays each other. Then they're ranked, you know, one through for four and they jump right into the semifinals. Um, especially since all the other pro leagues are continuing on, like Italy's still going, Poland's still going. Um, obviously Turkey just ended, but like 
you have the time. Why not? Why not run with it? At least make it a best of three, right? Yeah. At least make it a home and home, right? But it it just seems weird. You know, you had the finals at Kazan. Um, to me, that like you should be having home teams in their home gyms for the finals. Um, it's a very volleyball type of format, right? It's a very FIVB format. It reminds me of the Nations League. It reminds me of the World Championships. Um, and I agree with you, Rob. It's uh, it's it, it's a little bit flimsy, you know. And you know, going back to this locomotive team, this is a team that. They, their, their style of play, like like you said, is just very steady. They're not going to make a lot of errors. They're going to force you to make a lot of errors. They serve tough. They block well. They play good defense. They initiate rallies. And then they find the way to get the ball to Lubridge, and he's going to put it away. And, of course, they've got a few other guys, like, of course, my board, Goy, boy, Gord Perrin, who are going to be able, be able to put it away. 26 today, Gord Perrin. That is a very good performance. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of like that's a uh, that's a regular performance f- performance from from him, right? He's going to pass a lot of balls. He's going to serve well. He's going to block well. He's going to score anywhere from like twelve to nineteen points. He's going to be that leader if you need him to be. If Lubrich is having a bad day, but otherwise he's going to let Lubrich run with it. But you know, they were the perfect type of team to catch Zenit Kazan off guard. As we mentioned, it was only their, their second loss of of the season. Um, and I would have loved to have seen them have that ability to come back and to answer and, and to fight back for it. Who wouldn't have watched that second semifinal um, to see what Micah Christensen and, and Ben Norsh and the rest of the boys can do, Maxim Mikhailov could do against against this lo- locomotive team, right? Who wouldn't have loved, loved to see an extended series in the finals of what we saw here in, uh, uh, from Dinamo and, and, and Locomotive? So congrats to both teams. But ultimately, I think all the volleyball fans are, are, are the losers of this one, that it didn't go any longer. Is Drazen Lubrich the mo- one of the most underrated players in volleyball right now? Yes. He's, yes he is he by is. far the best Serbian middle. Or sorry, opposite. Serbian opposite. By 100%. far. Uh, and I just feel like he's flown so under the radar as, as a top-tier player. Like he's been the best server in Russia the past like two or three years. It's like he's serving like 0.5 aces per set like the last two or three seasons. He's, he's a monster Five attacker. aces today. Yeah, he's, he's one of the best servers in, in volleyball. I feel like just no one talks about him in any capacity. He just quietly does his thing in Russia. Doesn't get any like burn with the any weed burn with the Serbian national team because of Antanasevich. So he just kind of you know, flies under the radar. And I, I think it's a shame because he's such a good volleyball player. Lubrius is awesome. He has one of the most unique arm swings in the world. It's very like elbow based and very snappy. It's the ball ridiculously hard. And the fact that he can be one of the most efficient scorers in Russia of all leagues with the size and the play style over there is is a testament to how great of a player he is. And I hope that he does get more run on the national team. I think I think we might see a little bit more of that as Atanasievich is certainly not getting any younger yeah. or healthier. Yeah. And then and on I mean, the other side, who, of, sorry, go over it. I was just going to say, but who else does Serbia have? Like Dusan Petkovic? Like, I would much rather Drazen Luberic than, than Dusan Petkovic. Off. What right? about like, Kozadar Vucicevic? Vucicevic is better than Petkovic, but I don't yeah. think he's as good as Luberic. No. no. And I no, mean, no. looking but at... I would look, say Vucicevic second. Looking at Luberic's teams, like, he's played he's played a little bit everywhere. He played for Piacenza uh, back in the day, back in the, with the former Piacenza. He's played in Japan. He's played for St. Petersburg. He's played for Halkbank, for for Belkorod, now, no, now from Novosibirsk. So he's definitely a journeyman, and I, and I agree with you, Dan. I was kind of thinking the same thing by watching him today, and obviously maybe uh, I'm guilty of maybe watching Gord a little bit too much in my Canadian boy mm-hmm. whenever I watch Novosibirsk this year, but, man, Luberch is something special, and I could 100% him see him be the starting uh, starting opposite for Serbia at the World Championships in the fall. Sergei yeah. Savin's passing numbers, 3% perfect, 18% positive. Okay, that was my next point. How is Sergei Savin 
starting on on this team. Like he wasn't even that good in his prime, let alone like now. Like, I don't even know how old he's. Like, never, 36. never been like, a fan uh, of this it's guy. Crazy it's crazy that he's that he's uh, he, he's playing like at this level. Like how? Do, and then Anton Semishev is sitting on the bench on the other on Moscow. Like. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy to me. Yeah, it's absurd. Savvy, Blair and Blair in the chat makes the point that uh, four matches in five days for Zenit Kazan, another huge failure of the format. That 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 stupid final six thing. Just get rid of that, especially because Russia's regular season is longer than I think any other in Europe. And then they do this stupid final six, and they rush the most important part, which is the semis and the finals. Like they've oh. got to change up this format. It's, it's gone for VNL, isn't it? Isn't that- and World Champions. It is gone. gone. It's gone for both, which is phenomenal news. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm in 100 percent agree with you. Let's get let's get rid of this and let's just go back to a normal traditional format. No more of this pool and then repool and then final pool and then pool to win. No, let's just Uh, uh, one more point before we move on. Sorry, Dmitry Lizic. I'm sorry we're going to miss his breakout year this summer because he would have been huge on the Russian national team. How did yeah, uh, Lizic? Very very good. Uh, Young middle. How old is he? 20? He's like twenty. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he's, he's going to be for a huge year. But. Yeah, he's he's the next one up. If if Russian players are allowed to, you know, play international volleyball in the next couple of years, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him because he's just another the next one in a very long line of huge, really athletic, skilled players. That position. Yeah. It it really it is is too bad with all of how you know the politics affects the sport and I mean obviously it has to but like has to. taking taking Russia away from these competitions just leaves such a big hole and it leaves so many good players out of the competition so many good clubs you know the best some of the best teams that, that we have and uh, really it's it, for for all of us is let's hope that this is ends as early as possible for more more reasons bigger than sport but uh, yeah it's it's it sucks for all of us. Now, moving forward uh, from Russia to Poland, this series isn't done yet, but it's looking close to it. Uh, game two was a little bit closer with JW forcing the fifth. A little bit? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit closer. 18-16 in the fifth. The first one was a 3-0 beatdown. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, you know what? Subtle, subtlety, Rob. I'll, I'll, I'll let you... Uh, Everett either over-exaggerates or way on, or under... Or uh, things. <laughs> absolutely. There's, there's no way that, you know... There's no middle ground. There's, there's, there's no middle ground. You got you to have some fun with it. Um, but like, like we said, an absolutely massive win for, for Zaxa in this one. They take a 2-0 uh, series lead. Rob, did you check th- check this one out? I did. Uh, this was ridiculous. It was Saturday morning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, a thriller. Much, much more exciting. Zaxa going down two to one than just wiping the floor with JW in the fourth before a very, very competitive fifth. Um, this is a little more the series that I was hoping to see with these two teams. Uh, Trevor Cleveno was able to come in for JW and looked pretty good. Uh, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of concern about the health of his knee. But having him on the floor made a big difference for JW because they caught him playing pretty well. Went seven for 19 after coming in in the third. Uh, Tomas Fornal, really good. 19 for 32 with only four errors is outstanding. Uh, but Jan Hadrabo was just not good enough. And <laughs> I mean, st- stop me if you've heard this one before, but uh, he, had to, he had to be benched at times in this match. Only went eight for 26, five errors. Um, Three aces, to his credit, uh, serving is one of the few things he does very well. But um, he he wasn't good enough for for JW to hang around. And although it was eighteen sixteen, in the in the fifth tomorrow, I expect Zaxa to win this series at home. I think it's over. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that this was the perfect match for JW to come in and steal. 
and especially with uh, on the run of this or on the back of this four now run with with 22 points it seemed like it was perfect um they just needed one of the right sides to do something somewhat good right for as bad as Hedrava was, Boyer, who came in, got six points, but at a 5% efficiency. That's really bad. Um, so, yeah, like, ultimately, Zaks is going to sweep this one. And is it to their benefit that it was before Champions League? Wasn't last year? Was it after Champions League? And after they won, they it was kind of a, you know, a, no? No, no. Uh... No, well, actually, no. You might be right, Everett. Champions I, I, League yeah, was, I think he, he May first was May first right. last year. Which, yeah, I think he might be right. I think they may have yeah, yeah. been be. on on the little hangover and and lost the Polish final, so they won't have that problem this year. Uh, yeah, JW not getting enough out of the opposite was a big one. Um, Zox's numbers pretty good. Semenyuk good as usual. Thirty nine percent efficiency. Are you guys a little bit concerned about the drop off in the play of Alexander Schliefka? He has not had nearly the season this year that he had last year. And it starts at the passing end. He used to be one of the great passers at the outside hitter position in the world. And then just the the normal magic with the goofy, crazy, like, Euros Kovacevic-style shots that he would hit, that hasn't quite been there this year either. I think with a guy like Shlivka, and you like same thing with a guy like Kovacevic, is that at the end of the day, he doesn't have the ability to overpower you. And he doesn't have the ability to just purely, uh, you know, out-athlete you. Like, he's not going to jump high. He's not going to swing fast. Like, he's not going to find find those ways. And you can start scouting a guy like that. I think part of the reason that he's so successful is because he is, like, a slippery lefty on the left side. And he's just able to get these random shots. And more and more people get the video on him and and and, and start to break down. But, I mean, I don't think his, his passing numbers in this one were terrible. I mean, on 37 attempts, he had 49, 49 uh, positive and 22% perfect right amongst the best best on the team like those numbers are better than eric shoji's who's going 35 and 13 true right so he's still cementing this team in the service eve and he's getting the most targets too at, at 37 right shoji and and Semenik don't even have that much combined so i i think that slivka maybe he's i, I think what we're seeing is that Semenyuk and kashmarek are taking a much larger piece of the offense um especially with the way Janusz Szczep, it's, it's, it's a little bit more outside driven and he really focuses on, on Semenyuk uh, and Kashmarek as opposed to Tony Uti last year who had the ability to kind of work his magic around that team and set that ball outside to him really, really well. I mean, Tony Uti is used to working with lefties like Linil and Rossard and, and all of the stuff in, in, in the French system. Janusz is, isn't as much, but I think that he's still a massive part on this team, especially in the defense and, and serve receive side. I, I think the you, you guys are looking too hard for the answer. The answer is Benjamin Taniuti, who's like was paired so perfectly with Shlifka, like put it in the pocket for him basically mm-hmm. every single time. And Rob, you're right. I, I just looked up the stats quickly. Uh, Shlifka hit 40% efficiency last year, almost 41%, and 33% efficiency this year. So worst uh, worst outs on the team, a huge drop off. And I remember I've done some research in the past, like. You can pretty much look at any team or player that plays with Benjamin Benjamin Taniuti than plays without him, and like you always see a pretty big drop off, no matter who it is. Like if they if they, whether it's a French national team or a club team, like you're you're playing with Benjamin Taniuti is probably the best thing you can do for your hitting efficiency. Um, but you know, I, I think also a, a bit of it has to do with Schlifka, just not you know not people people learn his tricks like Everett said like there's only so many of those tr- tricky little things and and refs call it differently too i think i think True. the refs this year have been and poland have been a bit tighter on some of the lifts on some of the 
the I guess redirection with two hands and that kind of thing. So that that hurts his game a lot too. Still, still a great player though. Which is good for the game, by the way. I, I don't like this this two handed triple redirect throw it off the block business. Uh, get that out of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, a hundred percent. I love the you know I love this the slippery slake who is uh, Slivka, but. Yeah, you're very much right. No more of this. No more of this chucking thing. Let's let's just get into it. Yep. All right, moving on from Poland. Oh yeah, f- f- finally you can check out game three of that one. That one's going down tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon. Uh, they're pretty friendly times. I hope it doesn't overlap with Italy. Let, let me look it up right now, really quickly. Um, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern. So that's perfect. Perfect. So you can watch you can watch uh, game three of Zaxa versus JW, and then move in right to game four of Perugia versus Lube. Um, another series that is finishing up has finished up on the women's side in Poland. Kemet Police once again with a, another championship. They win the Polish Torn Liga three two three one three two. Ever Rezhov in the finals. Um, Another dominant performance. This team just wins and wins and wins. It's all they do. Eight out of the last nine Polish women's championships have gone gone to Police. And I thought this was the year when they were not going to do it because of how good Zhezhov was. Uh, I mean, they, they beat Vakif Bank in the Champions League quarterfinals that one match. And uh, I... Was I was surprised, surprised about the result of this series. Uh, I don't have much more takes on it because I didn't watch it, but uh, the, the dominance year over year of Police winning eight out of the last nine Taran Liga titles is is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, for me, it's kind of the exact same thing that happened last year in the Toron Liga where Zhezhov was un- outstanding in the first half of the season and really, really strong. They were best, you know, t- topping the league and then kind of d- dwindled off and losing to police in the finals, to, to Kemic in the finals. And Stefan Antica is going to need to be able to figure that out because we know how how Polish fans demand that perfection. So congrats to Kemic Police. Obviously, they're going to be grabbing another Champions League spot, so we'll reg off um, for next year. And, uh, yeah, big win. Now we move on to France where game one of the LNV finals featured Montpellier and Tools uh, at Tools, who has been the number one team all season long. They had that f- fantastic run in the CEV Cup, but it was Montpellier who came in with the 3-1 win away. They have the chance um, chance to go up 2-0 tomorrow as well as they have game one at home. Guys, the most crazy thing for me is that Montpellier did all of this without their star outside hitter, Julien Neal. Linil. So that is a big win for Montpellier in the LNV. Yeah, 15-12 in the fifth. Uh, I'm I'm curious about this series. Is it best of three or best of five? It's best of five. Awesome. Yeah. So uh unlike Russia, France has some has a real series over there, and, and you'll have to check that one out. Um if you're a fan of Canadian volleyball, of course, Danny Demyanenko uh is one of the leading players and one of the uh Big middles for um, Montpellier. He had 12 in this one, going 7 for seven for 12, with three blocks and two aces uh, oh, down the middle. When is he getting his Montpellier. Italian contract, Everett? How long has he been in France? Not, for not Italy. big enough. He's, not big he's, enough. Too, he's too small for Italy. Yeah, but he, he's, he's, he's good enough to play, though. He's, he's, no. he's so much better than some of these Italian middles. I don't yeah, but he's, Yeah, but he's not Italian. Like, it, you would never, if, ever waste a foreigner spot on 6-4 middle in Italy. Never. Well, no. maybe if there's another... Six, five. Uh, he's 6-5 he's six, he's six, with the reach of, like, a 6-7, like 6-8 guy. Yeah. 
Oh, I don't know. I think that's 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 pushing it there. But uh, yeah, you'll you'll want to ch- check that one out. Theo Folk, uh for Montpellier, twenty-two for thirty-seven in this one. So he's that kid's the truth. He's going to be really, really good. This French system is just pumping out so much talent, so much talent. Um, it's 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 really crazy. And I mean, they do it. At, they do it in volleyball. They do it in soccer. Like they do it in basketball. The French sporting system has has figured it out. They're 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 doing some. Uh, some good over there in France. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for the professional side of things here. Um, well, European. Oh, well, don't say I, that. I say. Yeah, European <laughs> professional. I should say. Wow, uh, hanging up fired. the show right now. Shots fired. <laughs> Unbelievable, dude. Um, last week on uh, the show, we previewed the NCAA championships, and Rob, you said that it was an upset when Hawaii beat Long Beach in the Big West Finals. Well, not only did they do it in back-to-back finals, but they've done it in back-to-back finals by winning last year's national championship and winning this year's national championship by taking down Long Beach in the finals. Um, do you regret that take? No. It, it was an upset when they beat Long Beach in the Big West Finals. and It was upset again when they won this one. I, that, I'm not taking anything away from Hawaii. Uh, I mean, Long Beach lost the Big West Finals. We're still the number one seed overall in the tournament. We already talked about this. I want to focus on the, the great performance that Hawaii put out there. After getting past a ridiculously good Ball State team in five on Thursday, uh, they were just the better team from the onset of this national championship game. Uh, Let's see, set scores 25-22, 25-21, 25-20 over Long Beach. A sweep, uh, 6-0 against Long Beach in in the last couple weeks alone. Uh, Jakob Tell at the setter was unbelievable. Uh, Demetrios Mucleus was tremendous. Let's see, 11 for 22, zero errors. 50% efficiency for the opposite. Uh, Spiros Kakas, 14 for 30. 30 attempts uh, for like a freshman outside is nuts. Chaz Galloway was good. Uh, Hawaii was better in the middle. They passed the ball better. I mean, Guillermo Vos hit 714. Like all Long Beach had was Alex Nikolov, uh, 20 for 37 at 405 efficiency, which is terrific. But past that, they, they only had six attacking attempts in the middle combined in three sets, which is not even close to enough. Their offense was way too one-dimensional, and uh, the, the difference in the caliber of setters of these two teams was super obvious to me. The class of Jakob Tello compared to Aiden Knipe, that was a huge part of this Hawaii win. Okay, Rob, I, I watched part of this game. Jakob Tello, oh my goodness. That guy is, Kid's is awesome. incredible. He's and, Norwegian. He's already probably the best Norwegian player in the world. From, well... Indoor, 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 indoor. indoor. <laughs> yeah. um, social respect yeah. here. But he's from the same legendary uh, top volley uh, school that, that uh, of course, Anders Moll, Christian Storm are from. So let's see, potentially uh, uh, that could produce more talent. Come on, Rob. You, you, you think he's better than Jakob Kavelin already, who, who played in Japan <laughs> this year? Again, Dan, only you would know who that is. <laughs> you are the only person who knows who that is. No, but yeah, I could tell. I mean, I think they said on the broadcast that he had, you know, his 62 aces and 60 errors on the season or something. So you have a big setter who can place the ball and serve bombs. Like, that, that guy is going to get some good offers. Like, I see, definitely see a good pro career for him going forward. And his, yeah, his ace to error ratio is exactly what I wanted to bring up. Like you said, not only does he put on a crazy amount of pressure, but he never misses. Yeah. 62 aces to 60 errors is 
the best ratio on, on that high of a sample size that I've ever seen in the men's game. It's yeah. it's crazy yeah, how good that is. And he's he's a threat to rip the ball left-handed as a front court setter on second contact. And in terms of being an actual pure setter, he's I'd say above average. Uh, he's really really good at serving and attacking. He's a pretty good defender. He's a more than a good enough blocker. Uh, he had uh, let's see one and a half blocks. The NCAA does the whole half block thing, which I don't don't totally love. Uh, but if his if he can improve his actual setting to a real professional level, he's going to be. I, I don't know about Italy, but he'll he'll be up there. He'll have a very very good career. Or do you think he'll just switch to opposite? Potentially, <laughs> uh, I hope not. As, as we I, saw Mads Jensen do a couple of years ago. Mads, that's because Mads Jensen was the worst setter I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Alcantara is a good setter, and I hope that he sticks with the position. Fair enough. Well, guys, as good as this game was, um, I know there there was some chatter uh, around the game. Now, Rob, what did you think of the overall? production and promotion uh, of this event because it seems like the NCAA was nowhere to be found. No one was tweeting about it. No one was on Instagram about it. No one was talking about it. And the only reason that this fantastic tournament got any play whatsoever is because one tweet in specific. Um, That right there, Mr. Barack Obama, of course, he's from Hawaii, so he had to give a shout out to the... uh, uh, Rainbow Warriors, but we saw Alan Knight go on a bit of a rant in the pressers uh, leading up to this event uh, about the promotion. So, Rob, how do you feel about the promotion of the NCAA Men's Volleyball Championships this year from the NCAA side of things? Well, it's embarrassing. It's completely embarrassing. It is unacceptable. And if it happened in any other sport, there would be riots in the streets at the, at the front office of the NCAA in Indianapolis, and they would be calling for people's heads. But because it's men's volleyball, Just nobody cares and nobody continues to care, which is just such a shame because the production of this event, at least uh, on ESPN in the finals with Paul Sunderland, Kevin Barnett and a a world class production team, that match is very, very good. They put it on ESPN two, whereas it used to be on ESPN, which is another issue. Uh, But that match I have no problems with where I have the problems is every other match in this tournament. There were two phenomenal five setters in the semifinals. There was Long Beach reverse sweeping UCLA with Simon Torby ripping an ace at 16-14 to win it in the fifth. And then, like I said, there was Hawaii against Ball State, which also went five. And Ball State was just so, so good. They were down, man, they they were just getting destroyed in the first. I wish I remembered the numbers. They were down by at least eight, uh, if, if not more. And they came back to force that to extras in the first set, and that really set the tone. Those matches were tremendous. Broadcasts were mediocre. Commentator was embarrassing. And the broadcasts on Tuesday for the play-in games were embarrassing, and the commentator was embarrassing. So that's that's a problem. But it's really the coverage from the NCAA or lack thereof. I just don't understand how they can, how there's not some, how there's not some like contractual obligation for them to cover this sport or for them to cover every sport to a certain degree. And one of the points that Alan Knight made in the press conference was, don't schedule it the same weekend as the college beach volleyball championships. Why would you do that? College beach volleyball is a brand new sport, but already it has like four times the number of teams that NCAA men's indoor has. And then they put the tournament on the same weekend, the ABCA, the NCAA, like all the, all the mainstream volleyball platforms give more coverage to the beach tournament than the men's championship indoors. And it sucks. 
I, I can't believe that the NCAA can just get away with doing this year after year and nobody holds them accountable for this lack of coverage. It's such a shame. It's it's kind of this ongoing story with men's volleyball in the United States. And I, mean, I remember listening to the net live like over a decade ago. And, you know, the aforementioned uh, Kevin Barnett and Jeremy Roche. And, you know, at, at the time there was um, Reed Pretty who was on the show as well, too. And they were talking about it, about how as great as Title IX, uh, IX is in terms of the inclusion and equality within sports in the United States and the NCAA, it's really negatively affected men's volleyball more so than any other sport. That's an understatement. And, it's killed right, it. Like, it has, it's, 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 it's absolutely killed it. With it's the, killed its know, ability to grow for 50 years. Yeah, with you know, it's it is the least we've talked about it before. It's the least service sport in the NCAA. Only a handful, like the least amount of Division One and Division Two programs. It's it allows the least amount of scholarships at only four point five scholarships per team. Like, when is this going to change, and is it ever going to change? Right now, for for NCAA men's volleyball, because it seems even at the Division One level, it's a tertiary thought behind everything else. I, if I knew the answer to that, we wouldn't be having this problem in the same conversation every single year. I don't know the answer, but if, if, it, if, if it were up to me, I would completely restructure the entire format of Tile 9. That is a 50-year-old piece of language uh, in, in, that, in the way that that law is written, and it completely needs to be changed to, to accommodate the way that sports are now in the 21st century. It has single-handedly destroyed my favorite sport at the college level. And it's just been allowed to get away with this because the sentiment behind Title IX is so good. And the work that it's done for growing so many women's sports has been so positive. But it has completely, completely killed the sport that I love the most at the NCAA men's level for no reason other than nobody cares enough to revisit it. It, It's frustrating, too, because I think it's done such a good job at growing volleyball both indoor and on the beach in the ncaa right we know that women's volleyball is basically the growth the of women's game. beach is at huge. the college level is unbelievable oh the, it's, it's literally it's unprecedented which is even more frustrating to me because yeah. it's already in like five years of existing grown to be bigger than ncaa men's indoor is and so it's not like it's impossible to grow a sport you can spawn it from nothing there are, there is no such thing as high school beach volleyball that doesn't exist you just like have have former indoor players that play on the sand and, and come to college and do that, or a lot of them play both. A lot of those, a lot of girls in the NCAA play indoor in the fall and sand in the spring. That's super common. You can spawn a brand new college sport out of nowhere and grow it in five years to the point where women's college beach volleyball is, which is amazing, except for the fact that it can easily be done with men's, just nobody chooses to do it. That's that's the part that that I get stuck up on is that now a, a sport that, that just came into existence that all they needed is to put a little bit of resource behind it and now they're scheduling it and prioritizing it above the men's indoor which has been around for sixty years. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit tough. I'd love to see them just like take maybe a couple of scholarships away from um, fo- from football, sprinkle them into uh, sprinkle them into volleyball, just give like a little bit more support. Right, because it's uh, it's it's meager out there. I, I I feel feel for you guys. I I really do because you've got great performances like this that people aren't even getting to see. Yeah, it's a shame. I don't have that much more to add to that because it's just such. It's it's, well, it's the exact same conversation that we have every year, and nothing ever changes. I I have something to add. I think I think you can't change it at the college level because the optics of that will never be good ever. It's just it's just no way. Agreed. Based on. 
I think the best way to do it is create a viable, successful men's professional league and then work from the bottom up to segue into our next uh, segment here. Absolutely. Dan, Dan, you're stealing you're stealing my segue over there, but you're you're not wrong because <laughs> even though it. you couldn't really watch or you could watch the NCAA championships, but the production level was terrible. You guys can watch some professional, and yes, I say professional, Rob, sorry about that, men's volleyball from North America with the VLA Cup this weekend. And Rob, can I announce it for you, or do you, do you want to make the announcement? Boom. Boom. There we go. The VLA on ESPN+. Plus. You're going to be able to hear Rob St. Clair's sultry tones all weekend long on the biggest sports network in the world rob break it down what this means for the volleyball league of america going into your biggest event of the season the vla cup this weekend this is a very very big deal and a great sign for just men's volleyball in general i agree with dan if we can't break through at the college level because there are 50 year old rules actively stifling the growth of the game Let's just start at a place where those rules don't apply because at the professional level, we can do whatever we want. We, we don't have to give out scholarships. Uh, if anything, we're, we're giving out a lot more than scholarships. The fact that the VLA has been able to negotiate this deal with ESPN over the last literal year, and we've gotten it to this point where we can put the biggest tournament in the history of the league on this platform at this production level on this stage is such a great piece of news for the men's game. I'm so excited about this. We did an awesome reveal last night on Around the VLA where we covered a lot about the VLA Cup tournament. I'll get into the details here of the tournament in a minute, but all you need to know is that this Sunday, May 15th, there will be four matches, uh, both semifinals, uh, a consolation final, and then the final of the VLA Cup, which is a 20-team tournament. All eight Tier 1 teams, 12 Tier 2 teams, Biggest event we've ever run. I called it last night on the show, the biggest and best men's volleyball tournament in American history. And I'm going to stand by that. And we're going to okay. put, and we're going okay. to put, and we're going to put the finals of that on ESPN plus with elite level production and elite level commentary for all four of those matches on Sunday. And I, I this is such a good thing for, for men's professional volleyball. This has never been done before a league like this or a volleyball at this level has never appeared on an American network of this type. This is such a big step for us. And uh, I'm, I'm phenomenally excited for the fact that this is only the beginning for the VLA's relationship with ESPN and just it with broadcasting the le- this level of the game in the U S at this high of a level. All right. Well, Rob, let's, let's, let's jump into this tournament a little, a little bit. Shall we first and foremost, when can we start watching? When does this, this tournament start? And who are some of the teams to, to be watching this? You know, you mentioned this is the biggest tournament you guys are hosting. You got all the Division One teams, all the Tier 2 teams, sorry, Tier 1 and, and Tier 2. When does this start? Friday, first thing in the morning. So I'll give you some of the basics. If you want a full breakdown of this, check out the episode of Around the VLA we did last night. It was by far our most viewed episode of the show. It was awesome. So it starts Friday morning. It's a three-day event with 20 teams. It's four pools of five. Uh, We're running three courts like literally all day long. Pool play Friday, uh, bracket Saturday, up to the point where there are only six teams remaining, and then they'll play those those featured matches on ESPN on Sunday. So uh, live on the Volleyball League of America YouTube channel all day long, Friday and Saturday, every match will be streamed. So ESPN is Sunday only. Uh, so everything else is, will be on our YouTube channel, which is great. 
Uh, we'll have uh, all the matches individually showing, plus like kind of a live from stream that will that will be active the entire day long, Friday and Saturday with interviews and just kind of up to the date, up to date stuff with what's going on and how how certain things affect the rest of the tournament. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Just huge, huge scale kind of chaos going on everywhere Friday and Saturday, and then focus on the elite level production for ESPN Plus on Sunday. Here's a look at the bracket, kind of what it looks like. Uh, it's it's gigantic. The, the, the thing you really got to take note of here is if you win your pool, four teams out of the 20 will win their pool. You get not one but two buys into the bracket. Wow, straight that's to the, huge. Straight to the quarterfinals. Very, very big deal to win your pool. Everybody else, second through fifth in your pool, you've got to start all the way on the, at the beginning of the bracket there and play your way to Sunday perhaps. Uh, the format of the pools is a pretty simple bracket pool, five teams. So four plays five. Winner of that plays one, uh, two versus three on the other side. Then um, those oh. those those winners play to win the pool. You've got a match for a third where the loser gets fifth. So uh, only five matches per pool instead of a round robin that would take a lot longer. So that's the format of the pools. And with that in mind, you can like apply that sort of bracket to the pool matchups. What we did with the pools here is we seeded the tier one teams. There are eight of them. Uh, so all, all, all the tier one teams are the are the first and second seeds in their pool. Then what we did was we allowed the tier two teams in order of tier two ranking to draft the pool position that they wanted, which was really cool. So that was going on behind the scenes the last couple of days, a blind draft of tier two teams pool position. They knew who the tier one teams were in their pools, but they didn't know what what tier two teams had chosen which spots. So okay, uh, it, it was really fun. Wow, the breakdown and the strategy. That's interesting. The strategy of that was really really fun, and we went through it in detail on last night's show. But real quick in pool A, like so again, you, you're going to have four versus five. The winner of that plays one, and then two versus three uh, to start off all the pools. So uh, East Side Cleveland versus SoCal Rising Tide in Pool A is going to be a banger of a match. Uh, Let's go East Side. Yeah, East Side Cleveland that won the East Division Cup. They're going to be just as good as they were in that tournament. And the, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat the Rising Tide and faced off against the Chicago Icemen to win that pool. That match is going to be sick. Uh, Niagara Frontier, the four seed out of Buffalo, and then uh, Micah, a uh, Michigan-based team out of Southeast Michigan, making their debut. But they're jumping in the deep end. I don't see them uh, making any noise in this pool. I think it's going to come down to Iceman and ECV in Pool A. Okay, uh, okay. Pool we'll B is, is the spiciest one top to <sighs> oh, bottom. Wow. So Sport Connects out of San Francisco is the one seed, but they're not going to have all the guys that they usually have. They've got uh, definitely a top three opposite in the league and a top three middle in the league that aren't going to be there. So wide open pool in Pool B. And Northeast Force is the lowest seeded team in Tier 1, but they are, they are picking up a couple guys that are going to make some noise. What I'm looking forward to here is Swede and Dive. Mm-hmm. Swede's, out, Swede's out of Chicago and Dive out of Milwaukee. They're both in that Tier 2 Central Division, and they're on both on the fast track to getting promoted. And if they, face, if they were to happen to face off against one another to win this pool, it would be ridiculously spicy, and I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. And then New York Pride, seeded fifth, is really good as well out of New York City. So uh, this pool, top to bottom, one through five, uh, is probably the most competitive, and literally any team could win. I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee Dive, a four seed, won this pool. So that would be sick. This pool here in Pool C has two tournament favorites. Uh, Team LVC LVC at 11-1 and in in Tier 1, and Ruckus, who have won the last three VLA Cup Series tournaments that they've played. Uh, Ruckus had the first pick out of Tier 2 teams, having won two tournaments this year so far. They chose this pool. 
I was really surprised that they picked this pool and not Sport Connects' pool or maybe Team Pineapple's pool like we'll talk about in a second. They chose this. They, they wanted the Phoenix Ascension matchup first thing in the morning, and they wanted the, the, the early shot at Team LVC. And I'm, I'm really curious to see if that pays off for them. Because if it does, they've got a great spot in the bracket. But if it doesn't, they've got to start all the way in that very first round like we saw a minute ago. So this pool is totally a two-horse race. It's going to be Ruckus versus LVC to win the pool, and that will be the best match of the day on Friday for sure. Is, is Cody Kessel playing on Team LVC for the tournament? He is not, but I've got one even better for you, at least according to the rosters that I've seen. Nicolas Scherzian will be suited uh-huh. up for Right alongside wow. Spe- alongside Spe- Spencer Wickens, who literally just graduated from Pepperdine. He's a Rochester, New York kid. So those two on the outsides with uh, Blake Leeson in the middle and Joby Ramos Jesus. setting is is just is just disgusting of a roster. So if they play Ruckus like I expect them to, that match Friday is absolutely must watch. Uh, Pool D is another really competitive one. Uh, Team Pineapple versus Boston Bounce as the one and two could see each other in the finals of that pool, and that would be the Jalen Penrose revenge game because Jalen Penrose is a Boston kid. He played for Bounce last year but moved over to the Team Pineapple this offseason. It's going to be at least perhaps the heir apparent to Jeff Petak on the on the Indiana right side. So if they match up against each other, that would be very spicy. But uh, Boston versus River City flow in the first match of the morning is going to be really good. They played a great five-setter in Buffalo as well. So that could be good. And then don't sleep on Emi Ola uh, out of Hawaii. By far the best fifth seed in this tournament. Uh, they got a bunch of very recent Pepperdine grads. So a couple of these kids that just played for Pepperdine in the NCAA championships that lost to UCLA last week are coming immediately after that to play for Emiola in this VLA Cup. So they could make some noise. They're definitely going to beat the 6-3-0 Slunkers, and they could beat Team Pineapple in that second match. So uh, this is going to be a fun pool to watch as well. So that's the pools. That'll get done on Friday. This bracket gets started on Saturday and ends with ESPN Plus on Sunday. This tournament is going to be insane. I can't recommend enough to just to tune into all of this. Uh, and if you're in America, or if, you, if you have access to watch ENP, ESPN Plus, whatever way you can, it is very important that we do the best we possibly can on viewership the first time out on ESPN Plus. It would really set us up great for the future of the league in this broadcasting relationship. So if you are capable, tune in on Sunday. I'm watching. Absolutely. I got a VPN. Let's Love to hear it. Yep, I'll definitely, I'll definitely be checking it out, uh, checking it out too before I head to work. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. This should, this should be great and great for the sport that is getting on ESPN. Yeah, Plus. our, big our, up, big our Instagram, dude, the, the VLA social media was absolutely blowing up today. We, I think we got 150 Instagram followers just today. <laughs> oh, sick. Uh, it's 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 been unbelievable. So the the momentum is there, and we're going to knock this ESPN deal out of the park. By the way. Not only am I commentating this on ESPN, I have I'm directing the broadcast. I have full creative control over this broadcast, and you know what that means? Baseline, baseline cam. cam. Let's go. It means primary baseline cam. It will be the highest level match ever shot in primary baseline cam. At this, it'll level be the point. highest level match shot at the lowest angle. <laughs> okay, there, there I like we go. that tagline. I like that tagline. <laughs> So yeah, if 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 you're a believer in baseline cam like the rest of us are, uh, it's just all another reason to tune in. Perfect. Well, boys, I think that's it for this week. There's a lot going on of this week. So just just a quick recap. If you want to check out Game Four of the Scudetto Finals between Perugia and Lube, that's going down tomorrow at 2:45 Eastern Time. If you want to check out Game Three of the Plus Liga Finals between 
Zaxa Kazeshna Kozhne, and Giuseppe Wajel. That's going down at 11.45 Eastern Time. 11.45 11.30, Rob? Uh, I saw 11.30. 11.30. Um, there is also Game 2 of the French LNV Finals between Montpellier and uh, Tools going down tomorrow. Thursday, we have Game 5 of Vakuf Bank against Fenerbahce in the, um, the Turkish Women Finals. And then, of course... If uh, Perugia can take tomorrow's match, they go to the finals on a Sunday. But more importantly, all weekend long, we've got the VLA Cup. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Check it out on ESPN. You won't regret it. Rob's not going to have a voice by next Monday sh- or next Tuesday show. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I- I'm not planning on commentating much, if at all, on Friday or Saturday. I'm just going to do some interviews and kind of let the streams roll. So uh, Sunday... Sunday, you're going to get your money's worth. I promise you that. I think it's only like seven bucks a month, by the way. So pick up, pick one of those up and uh, support volleyball at this high of a level. Great. And if not, I'm sure someone will stream it in the uh, the Discord. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Great. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in today. Um, make sure you tune in to all of our episodes of the 9x9 Tuesday nights at uh, 7.30. If you've missed past ones, you can check them out on Spotify. You can check them out on anywhere that you uh, check out your podcast, or you can check them out here on YouTube. Guys, you guys have anything to add before we uh, sign off? Take us home, Dan. Nope, that's it. Uh, I guess we'll do another, probably do another uh, five on volleyball podcast before the weekend as well. Maybe uh, we can recap a couple of the Italian and Polish matches that happened. So if you guys want to hear that, check out five on volleyball and uh, thanks for the great episode guys. All right. Sounds good guys. We will see you next week. Peace.